0: Hi friends, welcome to today's episode. Today we are going to be honoring Infant Loss and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Day. On October 15th is a day of a wave of light. At 7 p.m., wherever you are at, light a candle in remembrance of a baby that either you have lost or a baby that a friend has lost. The hope is that on October 15th, a candle is lit all across the world and for the entire day to honor the babies that are no longer on this side of heaven. Today I'm interviewing my new friend Teddy Palmer. She's an infertility blogger and a mom who has experienced pregnancy loss and infant loss at the end of pregnancy. Today's episode might be a little hard for some mamas to hear. So, if you are not ready to hear the message of another mom's struggle, friend, I just want you to know that that's okay and you don't have to be ready, and that this episode will be here whenever you are ready to listen to it. And we hope that if you are a friend to a mama who's struggling, that you can share this episode with her so that she does not feel alone in her journey of infertility or infant pregnancy loss. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hi there, I'm Jenna Kutcher. I'm the host of The Gold Digger Podcast, and I'm so excited that you're hearing me right now because that means that I get to introduce you to my friend, Michelle Hagen, and her podcast, The Busy Years. Michelle is a mama on a mission dedicated to inspire other women to chase their dreams and their passions, no matter what season of life they're in. And I've gotten the privilege to mentor and coach Michelle. She was one of my top 10 students in my community of over a thousand women, and she helped lead and inspire other mamas just like you. And now you, my friend, you get a front row seat. So sit back, relax, and get ready
1: to be inspired.
0: Hi, I'm Michelle, a sales and profitability strategist, mentor, and captain of your cheering squad. But most importantly, I'm a Midwest wife and mama to two spirited boys, and I'm a lover of learning, family vacations, and nap time. I built my business between the moments of motherhood, and I know that you can do it too. Being a mama is hard, and no one should have to do it alone. That's why I'm bringing women together to share their stories of motherhood, business, and blessings. So grab your coffee, wash your dishes, hey, even take a shower, because we can do this, friend, in the middle of motherhood. You're listening to the Busy Years Podcast, where motherhood and business meet. Come tired, leave inspired. Hi, Teddy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm so honored that you are going to share your story with my audience today. Um, I have been reading through your Instagram and getting to learn a lot about your story and how open you have been about your whole journey of infant loss and fertility. And so, um, I'm just honored that you are going to share your, your story with, um, the podcast today. So why don't you just introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are and some, what you do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm Teddy. I,
1: um, am over on Instagram or my blog at running with infertility. Um, I, a little bit about me, I've been married for 13 years, we just celebrated our 13th in July, I have a three-year-old, Um, like Michelle said, I um dealt with infertility, so seven of those years we were dealing with infertility before we got our miracle baby boy, so um, I blog, I have an Etsy shop, I do that on the side. Um, and I just try and spread awareness for infertility and for now, pregnancy loss.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love your little Etsy shop, shop. is so cute. I went on there and looked and I'm a sucker for graphic tees and t-shirts like with words on them, like just in general. But I just think that they um, are so like, especially what you're doing with the infant loss now and like just letting moms have a space to be. Um, but I do always like to talk to guests about like building their, your, cause you had your Etsy shop before your loss. So was your Etsy shop just something that you used to do? Was that like for fun and it kind of ter- has turned into a business or what did that look like? So I started it cause I wanted to actually give back to the infertility community.
1: And so a portion of my sales go toward the Hope for Fertility Foundation, um, a foundation that my husband and I had originally created. We have now since both of us have resigned from the foundation because of our pregnancy loss that we had in April. So,
0: mm, that's so great. I love, especially when it's got like the cause behind it, just makes it even more. Even sweeter. I always feel like to me that you know that when you're buying something, even it's supporting you and your family, but supporting an amazing cause as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would love for you to just dive in a little bit deeper to what some of your fertility journey looked like and, um, what that looked like and leading up, because I know that that's something that affects so many women. And especially today, I feel like I just hear it more and more and maybe as especially I get older and friends that have been dealing with it longer and a lot of times people don't realize that fertility treatments aren't just sometimes a short-term thing that people have them for a long time before they get their miracle baby.
1: Yeah, so um, I'll try and be brief because I feel like ours is so long. But it might not be. (laughs) 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 Just be aware. Um, So we actually started trying in 2009, November of 2009. I don't know why I remember that. Um, I think mainly because we finally got health insurance. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to go off of the birth control pill. And we're going to have fun. And, you know, just thinking it's going to come easy for us. Well, a year or two down the road, we realized that it's not, and we felt so alone, and so we just started out by going to our doctor, and he ran a bunch of tests on us, and everything came back normal for me. He just kind of ran some blood tests for me, didn't do anything like go into further um, testing, Um, but then he did a a sperm test or a semen analysis on chase and we came back and showed that we had male factor infertility or male factor infertility. So, um, we, you know, kept on trying and, um, still no luck. Um, we were both, um, broke college students. And so we really didn't have the funds to pay for anything expensive, and so um, I had, remember a friend gave me taking charge of your fertility. Um, and so I, I used that for a little while and started tracking my cycle. Everything seemed normal. Like everything on me, things, well, sorry, I shouldn't say everything was normal. I did notice that my luteal phase, so the phase after you ovulate, that was short. And mm. I didn't know anything what to do. Um, and so anyways, we just kept on trying. Um, we eventually did three IUIs with our doctor, um, just like an OB. He thought it was fascinating fertility stuff. So we did three IUIs with them. Um, the first one was ridiculously painful. Um, my cervix, I guess my cervix, he had trouble opening my cervix. Um, and so he used what's called a tenaculum to open my cervix and he left it there for 10 minutes. Oh. <laughs> oh, like- so I'm, I'm laying there, my, my butt, he left everything in and I'm just crying. Like, this is so painful. Why the, just thinking mm-hmm. like this, like the way that we're going to get pregnant. Um, thankfully he didn't have to do that with the next two, Um, But it was still not fun. Um, So, anyways, we didn't get pregnant with any of those. Um, I'm so bad with time-wise, so I know all of this happened within that seven years, so I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how far apart everything was. Um, But we did – the U of U was doing a um, clinical trial with – males, um, they're testing sperm with folic acid and zinc. And so we were lucky enough to get in that trial and Chase actually had the actual folic acid and zinc. So we got four semen analysis with that trial and we noticed an increase on the third one. And so we kept trying and still nothing. Um, so at this point, we had some friends reach out to us and say, hey, um, have you ever thought about going to a reproductive endocrinologist? And we're like, huh, What? what is that? So we met with them. And they ran some tests. We ended up going back to them for like a follow-up. And they said Chase's sperm was swimming in circles. It was making some progress, but it was just kind of, they're just spinning, having fun, spinning on their way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they told me that I had low AMH or a low AMH, which meant that I had low ovarian reserve. So I didn't have as many eggs as I should have for my age. So he said, well, your best option is to do IVF and kind of left it at that um, and basically told us it was going to cost us $20,000. Like, awesome. I don't want to take out a loan for that. So and the next year, I think it was a year or two later, we met with a different clinic um, just because I kind of got the vibe that they were just Wanting my money, like they didn't even really mm-hmm. care, just another paycheck to them, and that I don't like that, and that's kind of why I have a bad vibe with fi- doctors in general. Um, because I'm paying money to you for a service, and yeah, mm-hmm. and so we switched clinics, and the doctor got all everything back and was like, Yeah. Let's try three IUIs and then we will see, like, we'll meet back here. If those don't work, we'll meet back here and we'll discuss, you know, the next thing. So we did three IUIs um, back to back. And um, during that time, I was training for a marathon. Not the best thing to do, um, but... I remember the second, I think it was the second, no, it wasn't the third, the third IUI that we did, I ended up running my marathon and uh, the next day I got my period. So I knew that one. Uh, okay.
0: So, be- so an IUI, because I'm not a hundred percent like understanding of all of the terms, is that where they're opening your cervix and putting the sperm up there? Yes. to meet the egg. So you literally had your cervix opened and so, then went and ran a marathon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not not like the day or two before. Oh, okay. It was like ten days before I ran the marathon. But mm. so I was in the two week wait, and then I ran the marathon, and then I got my period the next day. Um, I don't. To be honest, I don't think that that's triggered any of that. I I don't feel like me running had any impact on it. It may have. I don't know. I think it was about timing and basically timing. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, so we meet back with our RE and, um, he says, okay, let's do IVF. (laughs) So thankfully I was with a company that had insurance coverage um, and so I was able to get my meds taken covered. And then the following year, we were switching to a different insurance um, insurance company, but they were still providing the same benefits. I had a lifetime max of $5,000. So we used all of that, the rest of that in December to pay for my meds. And then in January, we started our next IVF cycle. So then I used all 5,000 for that first IVF cycle. And so um, anyway, so I ran in January of 2016. I ran the Dopey Challenge. This is all part of my journey. Uh, I ran the Dopey Challenge. Um, You run a 5K on Thursday. Friday, you run a 10K. Saturday, you run a half. And Sunday, you run a full marathon. I ran it with um, three friends and they graciously helped give me injections. I just barely started injections, um, and so they they helped like hide and huddle around me Like <laughs> I gave myself injections all before they were praying for me. Um, we did get pregnant with that cycle, um, but my number, my beta number, Kate um, was at an eleven. And anything higher than a five means that you're pregnant. So it was very low. And so they upped my progesterone and um, we had betas every couple of days. My numbers got up to, I think, two or 300. I'm not sure. Um, and then they stopped and they dropped. So then you have to, then you stop all progesterone and you have to go in for another beta to make sure that it is dropped all the way down, which was, I remember being really hard and really frustrating. Um, but so with that, we, we got eight embryos and two made it to day five. So we transferred the only two embryos that we had and we didn't have any left and, um, doing some reading after the fact—that is—that that does happen a lot
0: with low ovarian reserve. You do end up with not having a whole ton of eggs. So, were you talking about just so the listeners can kind of understand if they're not familiar with fertility, when you were doing the IVF? So, those injections you were doing while you were running was like basically boosting so that you would ovulate, right? it actually produces more eggs, more so eggs. Giving you,
1: they give you a drug to, or they, from my IVF cycle, they gave me a drug to stop, prevent ovulation from happening because they wanted to be, they wanted to time it. Um, so yeah, so I'm giving myself this drug to stop ovulation, but also giving myself an two or three other drugs to boost my ovaries to make more eggs so -hmm. that way when they go and do IVF or when they go and do
0: egg retrieval then they can go and pull out all of the eggs so like for the listeners so when like you're talking about the hormones coming down that's where you were talking about that you weren't necessarily pregnant at that time that's where they were trying to retrieve the eggs right Say that. I'm sorry. Say that again. (laughs) So when you were talking about how you're taking the progesterone and it was bringing your hormones up, it's not that you were pregnant at that time. It's that they were bringing your hormones up so that they could retrieve as many eggs as possible, right?
1: So with the progesterone, they actually do that in preparation for embryo transfer. So you start giving yourself progesterone, which is how the body works. So the body... um you have a boost of estrogen at the beginning of your cycle and then it kind of drops and then progesterone comes and takes over. So that's kind of in between there, you'll get a spike and that's when ovulation occurs. So anyway, so then you start taking the progesterone and um, you take that. And if, if, those embryos had stuck around, we probably would have been giving ourselves or giving me, I should say me progesterone up until between weeks 10 and 12 of pregnancy. And then that way the body then takes over and does itself. After that. um, So our RE said, let's do another IVF cycle And by this point, we had no money because we had used it all on that. Um, And so we started saving. We started a GoFundMe. We were going to have a big yard sale and have um, people donate to us. Um, So in that process, we ended up starting the foundation Um, and we were originally going to use the foundation to give us, like, have the board give us the money first, and then we're going to keep going and, um, give back to the infertility community. But we ended up not needing that money. And we ended up in four months, we saved up $16,000 to pay for IVF. And that was just with prayers, with, saving living on a hundred dollar budget for food, not going out to eat, paying minimums on everything. Um, so we, we did that and we were able to save up and pay for our second round of IVF in cash. And, um, that cycle we were hoping, um, so my Ari found when he did went in to retrieve the eggs from our first IVF cycle, he said he was 90% sure that I had endometriosis. And the only way that you can truly be diagnosed is if you do a laparoscopy. And I really didn't want to go in and get surgery because I've heard a lot of horror stories of women going in, not expecting anything, and then the next thing they know, they had to remove an ovary or... You know something else, or even more tragic, and so I wasn't willing to put myself at risk for that. Um, and so we did what's called Depo-Lupron, which is um, it's a thirty-day shot, hence the Depo part, and then the Lupron is the same; it prevents ovulation. But in this instance, it actually suppressed all of my, all of my hormones. So estrogen and progesterone, I didn't have any hormones whatsoever. It's called, so you felt awful. I'm guessing yeah, it's called medicated menopause and yeah, it, it, it's a horrible drug. I hate it. I hated it. Um, I had suffered a lot of depression during that time. I had hot flashes, you know, all the things that you hear about women going through menopause. I had that and I know a lot of other people who have dealt with infertility have done the same thing. And it just, ugh, it, <laughs> I hated it. Um, Anyways, so I was on that for that three months before we started IVF number two. So in prep, our doctor was like, yeah, let's do this drug. We should get better results. We should get better quality eggs. And so I was on a bunch of supplements to try and boost my egg quality and um yeah and then we started I just went right into IVF they started me with estrogen and all kinds of stuff and I got less eggs I got six and only and two made it to day three so we transferred the two on day three usually you want day five that's Better because then it's a blastocyst, and we got a big fat negative. And so after that, I'm like, well, okay, it sucks. And and I feel like I'm speaking very lightly of the subject, but I really was emotionally distraught. Um, the way that I deal with my emotions is I go work out. So I either run angry miles. Or I go on an angry hike. And in this instant, I'm like, Chase, we need to get out of the house. Let's go on a hike. And so we went and hiked a seven. We did a seven mile hike just to like, you know, try and deal with the loss that we just had. Because it is a loss. Mm -hmm. So um, about a month and a half after that, we spontaneously got pregnant with our son. Who is now three. And so I like still am in awe. Like I I don't know how it I believe it was all God's timing and I'm sure the drugs everything played a part into it um but yeah it was definitely in God's time. Um so we had him and then in 20 17. And then in 2018, I told my husband, I'm like, I don't want to think about getting pregnant. I just want to find who I am. You know, infertility is a long road. And you just get so um, obsessed isn't the right word. Like it just overtakes your life. Like that's all consuming. It's all that you think about. And so I needed a break. And so in 2018, I just ran, I did whatever I wanted. Like I just focused on me trying to heal me and make me a better person, make me a better mom. And then, um, in 2019, in January we started trying again. Um, and then I said that I would never do IVF ever again because it didn't work. Um, and so, I wanted to start going a natural route. And so we went and met with a NAPRO doctor, Um, NAPRO Technologies. They do everything natural. You use a specific method on tracking your cycle. Um, They look more in depth on the problem of infertility rather than trying to place a band-aid over it, um, as a lot of times IVF is. Um, and so we started, we'd got blood work and we we're going to have, um, we had our first appointment and then we were going to have our follow-up and, um, I ended up canceling because we spontaneously got pregnant, like
0: all on our own. Um, isn't it amazing? Like I, one of my best friends has a story very similar to yours as to where, like they tried and tried and then she got pregnant with twins and then she spontaneously got pregnant with a couple other babies and she lost them. And then now they have another one, but how like God, like you were talking about how God's timing is so perfect. And there's so many things that the doctors tell you, like there's no way that you will ever get pregnant on your own. Like I heard that from a doctor over the phone, you know, and, and how they just, sometimes they feel like don't give you a lot of hope. Um, and that there's just, like, something in, like, the miracle of, like, God is, like, listen, I already know. I know all of what's coming.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, and my actually, my Ari told me the exact same thing after a second failed IVF cycle. He said, I'm sorry. The only three ways that you're going to be able to get pregnant are if you do embryo adoption, if you adopt, or if you use an egg donor. And I showed him. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, so we got um pregnant. Um, things were going great. Um, I had a bit more anxiety with this pregnancy or with that pregnancy than I did with Casen. I'm not sure why. Um, and then so we did the. 20 or the 20 week ultrasound and we found out that we had an anterior placenta, which made it even it made it difficult for me to feel him move. Um, and so that kind of just added on top of my already anxious mind. Um, and so anyway, like but things were still going good. things were progressing well. Um, and then in April, April 4th was my due date, and um, still, he still hadn't made his appearance, and, you know, every day, I'm like, come on, baby, like, come on, Ethan, you you just need to come, what, what can I do, I just want you here to know that you're healthy and safe, um, and so April 4th was a Saturday, and then that Tuesday, I just hadn't felt him move very much, and we had bought a Doppler when we were pregnant with Caseen because um just that anxiety. So that way we could, you know, hear his heartbeat every now and then. Well, that morning, I don't know what it was, because I I hadn't felt him move really. At least I felt like I hadn't felt him move. Um, but so I had Chase my husband was home and um so he checked the heart checked the heartbeat and we couldn't find anything. We couldn't even find the placenta, which was odd because if we couldn't find his heartbeat because of the anterior placenta, a lot of times we'd be able to still hear like the, the blood flow moving through the Mm -hmm. placenta and we couldn't even hear that. And so um, my husband suggested that I call our midwives. Um, I had decided I didn't want to birth at the hospital. I didn't want to go with the OB that I had. And so I decided to go with some midwives who I was going to birth at a birthing center. And so they, when I told them I couldn't find the placenta, they said, okay, well, why don't you come in? We have some availability right now. Uh, and so I went in and they checked, spent 10 minutes searching, couldn't find anything. They got their little ultrasound machine out, couldn't find anything that I know of the but they did a really good job and didn't lead me to believe that anything was wrong. Um, and so they're like, well, let's get with the ultrasound tech. We'll find out where he is, and then you can go to whatever birthing center that he's at. And so we went to another birthing center, and I don't I don't know what prompted me. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Um, but I just I'm like, well, I don't want to necessarily go alone. And so Chase got off work early and um we all went up as a family. And because of COVID, we were so I was so worried. I didn't want I
0: it it's all just so it was And you were early in COVID here. at that time. Huh? And it was early in COVID at that time, so people were probably hypersensitive.
1: Yeah, and I didn't want to um, make anyone feel uncomfortable. So I'm like, Chase, you and Kason just stay out in the car, and I'm just going to go in, and I'll just Marco Polo. So I'm Marco Polo, and within a minute, he says, I'm so sorry, there's no heartbeat. And at that, I stopped the recording and I remember just sitting straight up. Um, and then at that point, he sent his assistant out to go get Chase and Kason and bring them in. And he, I remember just sitting there crying, like, this can't be real. Um and he's just rubbing my back trying to calm me down. Just I'm so sorry sweetie I'm so sorry. Just trying to offer um comfort to me. And so he let us cry as long as we wanted. Um in there my poor son had no idea what was going on. Um we get out, we call family and like, okay, well, what do we, what do we need to do? We obviously need to figure this out. And I kept trying. And I remember that I have two friends that have both dealt with a, a third trimester loss. And so I, um, we made sure to call one of them or message one of them and tell them what was going on. We wanted to meet with her, um, or talk to her on the phone And then, um, I texted the other friend and the other friend would had said, you know, Teddy, I don't know what it is, but I, you have been on my mind all day. Mm -hmm. So just amazing what, um, God puts people in places where you need them. You might need them, might not need them now, but you will eventually need them. Um, and so, they were able to, or one of our friends was able to help us bring Ethan home, um, because we ha- so we had a lot of decisions to decide to do. So we had to decide if we wanted to wait and give birth, you know, a couple weeks later when my when my body finally decided that I my baby died. Um, but there were complications with that or because I had been seeing midwives outside of the hospital. I didn't have an OB that I wanted to go with. And so, um, my midwife and it's, it's funny cause I'm very much that I want to do things myself, but I honestly had no, I had no idea what to do. And so I had to let people help me. And I feel like that was the biggest, that was Hard, really, really hard for me. Um, and so I asked my midwife if she would find an OB for me or a hospital where I could have a doula because um uh, I wanted to still be able to give birth naturally or unmedicated, which is what I was planning on doing, why I was going to a birthing center. Um and so she found me an OB. Um, we made arrangements and thankfully the hospital that he happened to deliver at let my doula come, who happened to be a bereavement doula as well. And she had been through the same thing. Um, her son just, her stillborn son just turned nine this year. And so she, she's obviously been through it. Um, that The whole reason that she became a bereavement doula. Anyways, so we were able to have her come, and that was by far, like, the best thing that could have, that, it it just made everything perfect, as perfect as it could get, right, with the horrible situation that it was, was. Um, but I gave birth unmedicated, um, and within five hours, I had been praying all through, because, Kaysen's labor, um, was for over 40 hours. And I'm like, I do not want to go through with that again. And they say that, Oh, well your second is like cut that in half. And I'm like 20 hours. I don't want to do another 20 hours. No, that's too long. And so I had been praying like, okay, please come quickly. I want a fast labor. I want to get it over with and, and done. And, um, so they, they put me on Pitocin, or they check, so they they take you in, they check your cervix, and if you're dilated to a three or higher, then they just have to give you a Pitocin. But if you are dilated any lower than that, they have to give you Cytotec. And so, again, another miracle, I was dilated to a three, and so they just gave me Pitocin. Um, I I take that as all the dates that I ate during the last like four weeks of pregnancy, trying to ripen my cervix and get it ready to go. Um, but anyway, so they put me on Pitocin. I started about 1030. By 130, I'm like, I'm feeling the contractions. And um, I asked him to bump it up again at two o'clock. And by like 306, I ended up having him. And I remember, remember saying really happily after, um, yes, you're like, yay, I did it. I did it. Cause I, I gave birth unmedicated. And to me, that was a huge accomplishment. Um, but at the same time, I felt horrible for saying that, like, how could I say that? How could I be so, so happy for something that was just so horrible that happened to us. Um, so anyways, um, I met with another doula who happened to do birth processing. I feel like I've gotten a lot of support. That has been really helpful. Um, another, uh, friend who was really close to me, she made, A bunch of arrangements for us. I just basically put her in charge of a lot of stuff and that helped a lot. Um, we obviously made the final decision on everything, but, um, for like the burial and who, what funeral home to go with. Um, obviously some people have to decide if they want to bury their baby or if they want to cremate. Um, we chose to bury our little Ethan. Um, so anyways, I went to that friend, um, she had a doula and this doula does birth processing. And so, um, as a gift, the, this doula did a birth process and took me through a guided meditation, went back through that same thing. I told, cause I told her that, that me staying and getting excited for, you know, saying that I did it, I did it, and feeling horrible, that just weighed on me, like, how could I just be so happy with that, so she took me through this guided meditation, and, um, and in the, in the meditation, she, um, little Ethan, we went back to the day that it happened, and, Ethan was there and he, he said, mom, this, this is a gift I wanted to give to you. So mm. hearing that, I felt like that was what I needed to hear. And that was in in my soul. That's my spirit. That's what I felt was right. And so, you know, after that, I've been, I've been okay with saying that because, you know, I, I did it, I did it. And, and that was a gift from him. And So we buried Ethan a week after I had him, and it's just been a roller coaster of emotions ever since.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that Um, and just being so open and honest. I think it's just really good for other moms to hear, and I know um, that I feel like it's going to help a mom to know that she's not alone in that. Um, and so often I think that, you know, like you were saying that you had friends that have had that happen to them. And I know I've had a friend who had a third, um, trimester loss as well. Um, and it happens more than I think that people realize that it does. Um, so if you are open to sharing, I know that you guys were able to take pictures with baby Ethan and, um, that where I live, we have an amazing hospital that is literally just a women's hospital. So they have these special isolates that keep, keep the babies so that the babies can stay longer. Um, can you just kind of talk us through like what that process maybe is like, or what some emotions are in like those few days? Because I know as people who are probably like best friends, or we have really good friends that this happens to. And as we, a lot of women, it's like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know how, like what to say. I don't know what's okay to say other than I'm sorry. Um, but can you kind of walk us through some of that? Yeah.
1: So um, because of COVID, it just, we weren't able to have family come to the hospital. Um, and they did have a little, um, they call it a cuddle cot And it's basically just like a little ice cot, an ice bassinet to keep the babies cool because their skin changes color if they're not cooled off. Um, And so we did have that. Well, the cuddle cot at the hospital that I was at was broken, but the nurse um, made a little cuddle caught. She just basically shoved a bunch of ice and in and around. And so we just kept him in there when we didn't want to hold him. Um, it's perfectly fine. Um, my bereavement doula and everyone else that I talked to had said that it's perfectly fine to not want to look at your baby at first. It's okay to not want to hold your baby. You just obviously, you just went through a traumatic experience you lost your baby and then you had to deliver your baby um it can be really hard to want to hold them but I encourage everyone to at least hold hold your baby see your baby his or her face just look at them and love on them because that's the only time that you're going to be able to see them um and the reason that we take so many pictures is because we want to remember them and that is the only memory that we ever will ever have. Um so we spent a few hours at the hospital and then we saw that Ethan's body was deteriorating and so we actually um said okay let's let's discharge we had my Like I said, my friend, she had set everything up um, and had our photographer that was going to take the live birth shoot, birth shoot come to our house and take pictures. We were going to do newborn session at home. And so she still did that for us. Um, there is a company called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep that will come to the hospital or wherever you are and take pictures. And I believe they're still doing it with COVID as long as the hospitals are okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great opportunity for you to get pictures, like professional pictures. Um, and it's it's just a great service. Um, my, my bereavement doula took the pictures for us, so I didn't need them to come. Um, or she took them at the hospital, I should say. Um, so then we just, um, we, we worked with the funeral to the funeral home to bring Ethan home, um, in our state, we're not able to transport a dead body. And so we had to work with the funeral home. They weren't originally going to let us, but my friend kind of was a little pushy and, um, they ended up letting us bring him home. Um, and so we brought him home. We had family come over staggered because again, COVID, we couldn't have everyone there. Um, and so at the same time, and so we had everyone come and hold him. We all took pictures. Um, and then just, That week was just kind of now looking back, it kind of was a blur on what I felt like we sat around a lot, obviously, because at this point I'm healing, Um, but just kind of sat around and cried as much as we wanted to. Um, And every blog that I read was just, just said, just let it all out, you know, just you know, let your emotions flow. Um, we, in our church, they, um, had set up meals. So we got meals for the entire month of April, um, which was really nice. Um, was really, really nice. So we didn't have to think about dinner. Um, and then just a lot of people. So the day that we came home from the hospital, um, the The sisters in our church, they came over and and just friends too. They came over and and drew chalk like "We love you, families are for, forever." Um, we be we believe in eternal families, and so they wrote "Families are forever." There was a couple quotes all on our um driveway and sidewalk leading up to our house. Um, there was a big sign on our garage door that said families are forever. White balloons were all streamed up around the, or surrounding the garage. And then little white ribbons. There were like stakes of little white ribbons all in our yard. Um, And that was really nice to know that people in, in our church had thought about us and knew that it must be a really, really tragic event. So even, and we didn't even ask, like we didn't ask for much. Um, Obviously I had to ask for help on getting arrangements done. So that was really the only thing that I had to ask for. But other than that, a lot of people um, said like, okay, well, what can, instead of saying, well, what can I do for you? They would just say, Hey, Teddy, I wanted to bring you a meal. What What day works good for you this week? And so that kind of um, opened it up to let people be able to serve me and not have me try and think like, okay, well, how can I have them help me? Um, So, I mean, I guess being upfront and more direct with me was, was really good. Um, some other thoughts that I had, um, is sending a text, um, telling you that you've been thinking of me. Um, the biggest one for me is remembering special days. Um, like Ethan, this two days ago, Ethan turned six months old. Um, and then, you know, another one is, um, he's, he's buried in our city cemetery and it's been really comforting when we've had people go to his grave and tell us that they stopped by. Um, that, that that's been really, really, that like, I don't know. That was just really nice and sweet to know that they were thinking of me and um, in an indirect way of thinking of me. Um, yeah, that's, Like mainly just, yeah, saying I'm sorry is, is always great, but then being direct with how to help. And I know I will be upfront and honest that not everyone is going to be like me and allow people to come in and serve me. Um, it is definitely, it's a lot of people think that it's pride thing, um, not a pride thing, but like, well, I can't, it's weak. Like if I let people serve me, it's I'm, I'm weak, but no, I mean, you are in this state um, of mind, of emotional, physical, everything. You just have been through a lot. So just suck it up. I'm sorry to say that, but
0: suck it up, buttercup and just let somebody serve you. Yeah. Yeah, because it is, I think, um, it is hard sometimes for people, it's just hard to accept no matter what the situation help, but that in this type of loss, um, it is, you know, just like even when you have a baby, they say, let just let people help you because that's what they want to do um, in that season. Um, I know you had a few other resources that we had chatted about that you wanted to share if. Um, a mom was going through this and like, where, what were resources that were really good for you to, that you found? Yeah.
1: So first off, I could not find anything on the internet. I looked on Pinterest. I did lots of Google searches, trying to find somebody giving me their birth story, um, uh, like for a loss. And I could not find one. So if you ever want a birth story, that's on my site. (laughs) And I think afterwards there was somebody else. I had a friend tag me in a post on Instagram. And um, another Instagrammer had shared her birth story on Instagram. So um, it's always good to look at those hashtags for like pregnancy loss or pregnancy and infant loss. Um, So yeah, that's where I originally started was just... Doing a search on Instagram and finding um, pregnancy and infant loss, um, you can find lots of accounts to follow. Um, there's also a lot of support groups around the country. Um, in here in Utah, we use Share Parents, so we have Share Parents of Utah, and so I go to their support groups. They have, because of COVID right now, they have weekly. Um, virtual support groups. Um, and then they have, they are doing some in person support groups as long as where the location that they're doing them at is okay with letting them come. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to go to my in person support group. And I found that to be really, really helpful to just talk to other women who have been through loss. They totally understand, you know, that every day is an emotional roller coaster. Some days are great. And even in the specific day, like today, you know, it can be an up, like I'm feeling really good. And then all of a sudden it just switches and you're just crying and you have no idea why. And then you realize, oh yeah, I'm, it's okay. I'm grieving. It's perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, share parents is a good one. And then, um, the other one I was going to mention is called, sorry, you can hear my train, um, Mm -hmm. gathering hope is another one. And that has, that is good, but, um, yeah, just those have been really good support.
0: I know that we have a local resource here in Omaha where I live that is called Healing and Embrace. And part of their ministry is to create these teddy bears that are the same birth weight as your baby so that you can hold the bear and that it weighs what your baby weighed when it was born. Yeah, um, there
1: is Molly Bears. That will do the weight of the baby. And I actually signed up for one. So I should be getting one in, who knows, six months. Um, and then, um, oh, I just thought of it. There are lots of other um, nonprofits that will do burial gowns too. And so I had another friend. She, I don't know if she reached out to the other friend that was doing all this but she ended up finding a burial a burial gown for me and so she sent me a couple pictures like hey which which one of these do you like and so then I'm like okay well I like this one and then so she okay and then the company came and dropped it off at my house so mm-hmm. I mean I, like I said I don't know I'm assuming that one's local but I'm sure there's lots
0: around the country um yeah yeah Well, thank you so much again for sharing. And I'm so honored that um, you came to share your story. And I hope that this podcast is something that it just helps bring awareness for other women that don't understand or, or know exactly, you know, like we talked about what to say, but maybe that this is going to be a podcast that a friend listens to and then forwards on to a mom so that they can feel like they're not alone. Um, is there anything, if maybe there is a mom that's listening and she's listening to this podcast because she just needed to hear that she wasn't alone, is there anything that of, or like advice, if you could think to yourself back in those first few weeks that you wish that you could tell a mom in those first few weeks or that you would have been able to say to yourself? Just keep moving
1: forward. I know it doesn't, I know your world just ended, but keep moving forward and it's okay to take one day at a time. It's okay to take one hour at a time. It's okay to take one minute at a time. And it's fine to cry. Crying it out is is perfectly normal. Crying it out go shooting, you know, that you're going to have a range of motions from anger to despair and just work through those emotions, get some mental health, um, as in therapy, um, that was really beneficial for me and still is. So that is what I would say and that you're not alone because there are so many women that go through it. One in four women go through, or one in, I should say this again, one in four pregnant women go through
0: loss. Mm, wow. Well, thank you again, and if anyone wants to reach out to you after they've listened to this, and or they would just want to ask you questions, or keep following along on your journey, where can they find you
1: at? They can find me on Instagram, at runningwithinfertility1, I know, it's silly, and then um, runningwithinfertility on my blog, and they can find my Etsy store, and Instagram, Facebook, whatever, from there
0: too. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you again. And I feel so honored that you shared your story with me today. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And we pray that this episode brought you comfort and hope and healing. And there's going to be no outro today. I had opened up the podcast that if anybody wanted to send a voice recording in to honor their baby, that I would play those and let their babies' names and the day they gained their angel wings and for their moms to be able to speak their names. We have three baby Nielsens that are in heaven and they all gained their angel wings in 2015 and although we did not get to meet them they are so loved and we are excited to meet them someday in heaven
1: to our three sweet angel babies stanton baby roush and hope from the moment we saw those two pink lines it was real our lives changed and you mattered so much and you still do every year when your due dates come and go we think of you and we treasure the moments in those few short weeks that we had with you And just know that you will always, always have a special place in our hearts.